Good morning. Good to be with you all again this morning. Welcome everyone back. Welcome those who are visiting online and especially welcome those who are visiting this morning. I love worship this morning, focusing through the book of Revelation. I hope you've all been enjoying this study as much as I have these last several weeks. We are so blessed to have this book and especially to be reading and studying it this season during this very difficult year. I'm going to be jumping right in this morning because we have a lot to cover. Um, and by way of reminder, last week, Pastor Tom began our study on the specific messages that the exalted Christ Jesus has for the seven churches in Asia. He showed us in the first two messages to the first two churches that there seems to be a pattern and a similar flow to the messages, which I will crystallize for us in our study of the next two messages this morning. What we will see in both messages to the churches in Pergamum and Thyatira is that Jesus commends them for their perseverance, he corrects them for their permissiveness, and he compels them onward with promise. He commends them for their perseverance, corrects them for their permissiveness, and compels them onward with promise. So let's begin by opening up in prayer and asking God to bless his word as we read and study it. Oh God, thank you for leaving us your word your word that is alive and active, sharper than, two edge, than a two-edged sword, which pierces and divides between soul and, and spirit, exposing our thoughts and our hearts before you, Lord. So expose us before you this morning, we ask, that we may be healed and conformed more and more into the image of your Son that you get the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read the first message to Pergamum. This is Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way Hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly. I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, 
I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Okay, so Jesus has a message to the church in Pergamum. Some historical insight would be helpful for our study this morning. Pergamum was known as the most distinguished city in all of Asia, notes Pliny the Elder, one of Rome's renowned philosophers and naturalists at the time. This city was built on a massive cone-shaped hill that pierced 1,000 feet into the sky. Pergamon, the Greek word for citadel, was an appropriate name for its appearance. Atop this massive cone was a special terrace that boasted some of the most magnificent temples in all of the empire to the ancient Greco-Roman gods. This set Pergamum apart from all other cities in the Asian territory. Pergamum was then the first city granted permission to construct a temple that was dedicated to the divine Augustus and goddess Roma, the personification of the empire of Rome itself. And thus, the renowned center of emperor worship was birthed in the empire. One commentator noted, if Ephesus was the New York City of Asia, then Pergamum would have been Washington, D.C. The city of Pergamum was eventually crowned Neocharis, the temple guardian, a most esteemed title and status which made all other Asian cities envious and quickly following after in constructing temples to the emperor. As you could imagine, the people of Pergamum took great pride in their imperial status. We are the greatest city in the greatest empire of the world. Pergamum's imperial cultic prestige served as one of the greatest threats to the church of Jesus Christ in the city, as we will see. Jesus begins again in this message by first drawing their attention to who speaks. The one with the sharp two-edged sword, verse 12. Right from the start, he uses his own imagery that we saw in Revelation 1 again, but up against the standard image used for government authority, the sword. Swords commonly represented the judicial authority for Roman governors and their provinces. Listen to the one who has ultimate authority, even over those with great authority. The cosmic judge speaks. We will see Jesus again later in Revelation 19, using his sharp sword at the end. Not a pretty picture for those who reject him. He begins by commending the church for their perseverance in verse 13. I see you, beloved. I know 
the hardships where you live, where Satan's throne is. Now, there's a lot of discussion over what John might be referring to here. Maybe it's one of the massive temples like the one to Caesar and Roma, or possibly the most prominent one, which was to Zeus, that, that was elevated atop a throne-like structure. Or maybe it was the referring to the whole city on top of the uh, conical-shaped throne. But most likely, this is symbolic of the city being the center of power and influence with respect to emperor worship and pagan god idolatry. What's important to note is that it is not referring to a literal throne in which Satan himself occupies. And this is important because as Pastor John uh, brought to our attention in, the, in the, one of the earlier se- uh, sermons of the series, this is apocalyptic literature in which our job is to identify the symbolism throughout. What do the symbols represent in terms of its historical significance. Translation, there is a real, tangible power and authority demanding worship in the city, namely the emperor and the empire. But Satan is above and behind even these great individuals and institutions, using them to draw people away from God and toward himself. We will see more of this in the chapters ahead, especially when we get to the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Jesus says, you're doing well, church. Stay faithful. Though the emperor demands your worship, you have not renounced my name. Even when it got so bad that they killed my faithful one, your brother, Antipas, before you. Likely, Antipas's murder was used to send a message to all the Christians in the city. Renounce your faith in the gospel of Jesus and worship the emperor or die. Jesus says, press on, my beloved. I am with you. Press on in your faith in me and witness in the city. But you need some correction for your permissiveness. In verses 14 through 16. There's false teaching and false understanding that's corrupting you. Balaam has long served as the symbol for compromising with evil. Recorded for us in Numbers chapter 21 through 25, you can read how Balaam, for favor from the king, influenced the people of Israel to have sexual relations with women of of other nations which led them toward other gods. The adultery is of both physical and spiritual nature. Here, the body of believers are permitting unbiblical teachings and worldly influences to spread throughout the community. 
the sexual immorality and eating foods sacrificed to idols are clear demonstrations of the church's dual allegiance to God and the emperor. They participate and teach others of the importance of showing allegiance to the emperor and the empire, maybe for security, protection, provision, acceptance. And Christ tells them, you're leading people away from me. The Nicolaitans likely played a similar role in contaminating the church's worship. You're permitting and therefore promoting a syncretistic faith, a blending of beliefs. And I will not allow it, Christ makes clear. You'd better turn from your ways and turn back to me alone and stop corrupting others or I will come to you quickly and you will face the sword of my mouth. That should chill all of us as we hear how our king speaks of his zeal for purity of faith. Family, we need to seriously reflect on the timeless principles in this text that speak to us today. This is not an unfamiliar situation to us. When we see the significant forces of emperor and empire worship in their day, influencing the church body, let's not reduce this to kneeling before statues. It's a heart issue. Christ is concerned with matters of the heart here. There's a worship disorder spreading through the church. Worship. Worship is, is simply ascribing ultimate value to someone or something in such a way that you begin, it, it transforms you. You begin to reflect the values of that which you ascribe value to or worship. You become what you behold. So in this case, the saints in Pergamum with the people of Pergamum ascribe such ultimate value to their emperor and the empire that they too practice the same behaviors as those in the city. Wickedness, Christ says. There is a blur between those in the church and those in the world. The dual allegiance of many of the Christians to both Jesus and the emperor and empire breeds a worship disorder. And their disordered worship leads to distorted identity. They've forgotten who they were. Who am I? Whose am I? For whom and for what am I striving to persevere in this life? What am I living for? This is how Satan corrodes our foundation in Jesus by seducing us with straw 
And when the earthly emperor and empire falls and fails us and fall and fail us, they will. We wash out. We burn up with it. Let's not fool ourselves in thinking we don't face this dilemma today in the Western world and especially here in America. American pride. We are the greatest country in the history of the world. Now, don't get me wrong. Ethnic, cultural, national pride. These are good things. These things are amoral. They are from God and to be celebrated and appreciated, that of ourselves and that of others. But, and we Americans especially have a lot to be thankful for and to celebrate and to steward. But we, <coughs> excuse me, we need to be very careful and sensitive to when the good things become ultimate things. And when our faith begins to blur, clouded by the values of the emperor, our president, or the empire, our country. Last great danger to be to note in this passage is that disordered worship also leads to distorted witness. If in our blended and confused faith, we even care to get to the point to share Jesus with others. Well, often, we tend to depict and illustrate a Lord who resembles that of the emperor or president and not the cosmic king and judge of the world. Beware, he who has an ear, let him hear the words of the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Jesus closes his message by compelling his church to persevere and overcome the forces against us by clinging to his promises. Verse 17, his promise is the very driving force for us to persevere. One thing that you'll notice in, in all seven messages is that all his promises in the seven messages point to the end of the book, that final day when we are joined with him after he returns for us to bring us together with him and feast with him in the kingdom of God forever and ever. I have hidden manna Bread from heaven waiting for you. You don't need these petty earthly crumbs that leave you dissatisfied and needing to come back for more. I have a white stone for you. Traditionally at this time, white stones were either used in court, presented to those who were pardoned from their guilt. The cosmic judge has a white stone for us. Or they were even used as tickets to gain access into important banquets. You get a very special stone. One with 
a new name on it that no one knows. Again, referring to Revelation 19, 11 onward, I would highly encourage you all today or this week, read that passage to pull all of this together as we gaze ahead to the day when Christ comes back. Press on, my beloved. I am with you, and I will indeed lead you to victory with me. Let's move on to the message of Thyatira. Interesting how Thyatira is the smallest city of the seven, and yet receives the longest message. Seems as if God's values are different than ours. Let's read Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds, and your love, and faith, and perseverance, and service, and that your deeds of late are greater than that at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Son of God, with fiery eyes and feet like burnished bronze. This is a reference to Daniel 3 and Psalm 2. This description of Jesus, like the sword, should both comfort those walking with Jesus, as we remember how he protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace of their opposition in Daniel 3, and it should concern those who are not walking with him, remembering how he punished those in opposition to him. He is watching with fiery eyes, and he will not tolerate evil. He begins by commending the church in Thyatira for their perseverance in verse 19. Your faith, love, deeds of service, and witness are wonderful. 
and you're growing. Your deeds of late are greater than that of the first. There's progress among you. Keep it up, beloved. But you watch that love of yours, or so you call it, because your love is turning into tolerance. Tolerating the very evil I despise. The very evil I died to save you from. Jesus moves quickly into serious correction for their permissiveness in verses 20 through 23. Sitting at a crossroad between other cities like Pergamum and Sardis, Thyatira served as a trade city and contained very important influential trade guilds, or today we might call them labor unions. If you wanted to simply survive or thrive economically in this city, you must be a member of a trade guild. But membership in the trade guild meant affirming the practices and behaviors of society. And that woman Jezebel has gotten to many of you. Now, like Balaam in the last message, Jezebel is very familiar to the recipients of this letter, as she too is a historical figure in Israel's history who was not an Israelite and married one of Israel's kings, Ahaz. Her wicked influence on him paved the way for Ahab to forever be remembered as one of Israel's most wicked kings in the eyes of the Lord. You can check out the story of Jezebel and her unholy legacy in First and Second Kings. Here, Jezebel is referenced symbolically to represent a real-time issue with, real -time, with a real-time woman and influencers and followers all participating in sexual immorality and idolatrous feasting in the worship of the gods of the city, of society. It's not that bad. We're not hurting anyone. We can be both Christians and participate in these things. Worst case, Christ forgives. Might have been some of what was taught and thought at the time. And so slowly but surely, the church became contaminated with this permissiveness at large. Well, everyone seems to be struggling with this, so I guess we just accept it. Hey, we're all sinners anyway. Christ forgives. A collective mindset and frail posture we are all too familiar with today. Say with pornography in the church at large. There seems to be a widespread, cavalier perspective and posture towards this monster of our society. Well, this is just something we all struggle with, so every man's battle. Every young woman's battle now, too. 
as we feed the market monster that is literally destroying families, destroying marriages, raising up pedophiles, destroying children, destroying churches and ministry leaders and pastors and believers all throughout the country and world, fueling all kinds of abuse. I'm not hurting anyone. Christ forgives. Or with affirming, whether actively or passively, the culture and state's agenda to redefine sexual orientation and gender identification. Hey, it's federal law now. We must accept and support the movement or we'll lose our jobs. I may lose my business, my money, my well-being, my reputation. If our church wants to stay standing, I couldn't possibly speak about this from the pulpit. If you speak about this from the pulpit, Pastor, I am gone. And my family's coming with me. Don't you say it. Well, I guess it's okay. We're not hurting anyone. I mean, love is love. Love conquers hate. After all, aren't we called to love? Family, I am treading in some very murky and difficult waters right now. These current gods of our nation and society are raising up Jezebels in churches throughout the country, and they are powerful and very influential. Christians have no easy task in 21st century North America. This is no light matter at all. We cannot sneer at these unholy societal gods. The fool is the one who merely sneers and mocks at these gods. These forces are real and they are powerfully seductive. They are shaping our children and our children's children. Shape not your children into the image of Christ and they will be shaped into the image of Jezebel. Hence the priority of youth and children ministry here at Riverstone. If you need support and guidance in, in, in this area, this essential area of discipleship, please contact us. We must carefully think, intentionally think about these matters and wisely respond in ways that protect the church in truth and witnesses to the love and grace of God in the gospel, in the world around us. Now, let me clarify one thing that may have been misunderstood. Christ most certainly does forgive. He abundantly pardons in ways that we could not even fathom. His ways and thoughts are way higher than ours. But Christ will not let his church be corrupted. He is watching you. He is watching us with eyes of blazing fire. 
And when he deems enough is enough, he will bring judgment swiftly. On the bed, you delight in your sinfulness. On the bed, you will die from sickness. And then all the churches will know, I will not be mocked. It's chilling. Compromise is the first step to calamity. Compromise is the first step to calamity. And Christ does not desire to bring calamity upon us, family. What flows naturally out of him is mercy and love. He wants us to persevere, which is why he compels the church onward with promise. Repent of her deeds and keep to my deeds, your good deeds of faith and love and service and witness. Press on in faith and love as I came to you embodying both grace and truth so you too go out into the world embodying both grace and truth for me I know you feel like a little fish swimming up against the giant river of culture with its powerful forces Smashing against you, I know. But that's what my work is all about. That's how I make myself known through you. Little fish, you couldn't possibly withstand the forces against you seeking to devour you and take you downstream. But I can, in you and with you, if you are willing, with me. I have overcome the river, and I have not left you to journey alone. There's a whole school around you of all sizes, shapes, and colors, and together you will make it. Now swim, swim, little fish, flap those little fins of yours, and fight, gentle little fish. I know you want to be a shark right now because you think that's how you conquer these waters, but it's not. My ways are not your ways. My children are not sharks. They're gentle little fish. But you are my gentle little fish. You swim next to me. I'm taking you and the whole school upstream. Stay close. Stay real close. And when we get to the end, we will reign together over the whole sea. No more fighting. No more defeat. No more blood, sweat, and tears. Only victory and joy. You will have food and drink, light and life, crowns and staffs. But above all, you will have the morning star. You will have me. That might not seem so special to you right now, but when you look upon my beauty and my glory before you, everything that I have told you will make perfect sense. I am the banquet of joy. I am the manna that fills you. 
I am the stone that pardons you and welcomes you. I am your new name. I am the crown and rod that exalts you with me. I am yours and you are mine. He who has an ear, let him hear. Family, let's continue to press on in truth and love and good works, staying close to one another and Christ Jesus as we make our way to glory just a bit further upstream. Amen? Let me pray. Oh God, we thank you that you are high and lifted up, you who dwell in eternity whose name is holy, that you also dwell with us, the lowly of spirit and contrite of heart, to revive the lowly of spirit and revive the contrite of heart. Lord, forgive us of our unfaithfulness and inconsistencies at times. Raise us up, Lord. Fill us with the spirit of God, the strength of God, the joy of the Lord. Lord, for those who do not know you and hear your word today, awaken faith in their heart to see and behold the free gift of God of salvation in Christ Jesus and strengthen our faith, Lord. Raise us up, send us out to pour ourselves out in love and good deeds in purity and truth to witness to the world that you are Lord, you are good, and there is hope in you, Lord. Bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us that through, your, through us your ways will be made known throughout the land. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church family. Have a good day. I'll be standing down here if anyone wants to talk through anything that we discussed this morning or if you're interested in learning more about Jesus and, and what it looks like to follow him. I'll be up front. Be blessed.